0: Vegetable the soups. There's some Valentine's candy downstairs that Naomi is has made. made so, so, down by the, the coffee pot downstairs. downstairs let's so, let's empty it out today after church and you could write a check or send a donation to AIT. There's instructions down there. So, I want thank you, Naomi, for doing this. I think that's awesome. Um, and the, our house is smelling like wonderful split pieces. I tested all the cookies. I think I still need to test some more to make sure they're up to the quality that we are come to expect. So.
1: Thank you, Andy. Let's uh, prepare to worship the Lord and go to Him in prayer. Our week's, weeks and verse, and verse that meditate and think about is from 1 Corinthians 1.18. It's in bulletin, if you want to look at it. it. We we're, were praying, praying in with men this morning. this morning, and we talked quite a bit about this passage. It is worthy of thinking about the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Don't, we don't be discouraged. You don't expect, expect really any, any different from most people when they hear the gospel called call Christ, Christ, commitment to Christ. That just doesn't resonate with them. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with any who are perishing. And I've always thought, what, why would anyone want to get up on Sunday morning and come out here and engage with one another and so and so forth, you so have better, better things to do. Because, because to Christ us who are being saved, this is the power, power of God. And it, and it is, is the most, most important, important thing in our life. To, to communicate, communicate that to, to others, God, we just we simply preach Christ, Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sin. Lord. And, and allow, allow the power of the gospel God, for which we're not God, ashamed to accomplish, to accomplish its purposes. We'll pray that they'll be redemptive you go out this week to share Christ and be crucified, expect many to not understand, to reject, or even think it's a bit foolish. But there will be those who God will use the means of your proclamation of Christ to bring to faith. And what a great joy that will be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to prepare your own heart to worship Christ this morning. I'll let you do that, that privately. Private and And then I'll pray pray for us corporately. Take a a moment moment now, pray Pray to prepare prepare your your heart
2: to worship Christ. Father,
1: Father, we come to you today thanking you for who you are, are, All all that you have done, and all that you have promised. You're a good, good, great, and gracious God. We know know that your mercy is new every morning and even this day. May we be Be reminded reminded of the mercy mercy that is granted to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. May we be be constantly reminded reminded that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So whatever circumstance we might be in, whatever situation falls our way, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be confident on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the firm foundation of Him alone. I pray, Father, that in spite of whatever might befall us, that we would have great joy, peace, self-control, removal of anxiety and angst, depression, Depression. discouragement, doubt, not because we build ourselves up in the flesh, but because we have seen an increasingly beautiful view of the glory of Christ and your redemptive work in our heart. I pray, that I pray that we would respond in great faith, faith in great joy. I pray, that I pray that we would encourage one another, even as, as we see the either-day approach. I pray, pray Father, that we would not be overcome by the evil ones, but through Jesus Christ conquer all. I pray that you would conform us more into the image of Christ. May all we do, even this day, continually grow us into grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.
2: Good morning. Our reading this morning was found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then a demon fresh man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, and then spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the, but when the Pharisees, Pharisees heard, as they said, it is only by the the prince of demons that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven you, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. The the Let's stand, the stand, the stand the this morning Let's turn to number six hundred and sixty-three. The church, rise that you stand against
1: here and across the stage. We have um, six. I don't know how many we have uh, with us today. We'll see. Um, So they get called out and they're not here. They're out. There are a lot of folks that are sick today, so we're glad to have our new members with us. But in any case, we're going to read this covenant uh, together. And uh, we do want to welcome uh, each one to our fellowship. And we like to recognize them and also remember our covenant with one with another. So uh, Jerry, if you'll go ahead and invite each one up to stand on the platform with us, and be sure, if you're coming up, that you have one of these uh, covenants with you. Go ahead the microphone. Up here. here. Monty and Cindy Noon, come
0: on down. (laughs) Mac, come on down. Nathan Sleemaker, come on down. Brian Henry, and
1: Angela Wright. You'll just come on across here. Jerry has a card for each one of you. You can welcome uh, new members. We use this covenant to read it together. And we do have a few guests or some most of which already have this. This is our systematic theology, because I like giving them out to folks that just come in and visit for a while, that way we can entice them to join, that way they get to keep it. otherwise they have to return. It's a, it's a good systematic theology, that is a, a topical doctrinal book reference book. It goes and parallels, and parallels our doctrinal statement, which is written in brief form, if you see. Well, this provides greater explanation. Uh, recently, my wife has uh, been going through this on her own for personal devotions and explained how much she actually really enjoys it. So, if you, um, if you do want one of these, I'm... I'm eager to give them out. Because I think if it can help you to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. That's really what we have a desire to do. I think we have, and if I get this wrong, you guys let me know. I think everyone, I've already given it to you except for Mac. Is that correct? Alright. And um, the nun family. That, when you're in a family, you only get one. Because that would be too much to carry. But... But I'm going to give you a devotional voice, because he
3: really needs that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but
1: then we'll <laughs> and then uh, we, did we did have, have one, one member coming by Believer's Baptism, a great testimony, and I want, and I want to, to uh, recognize, recognize Angela. And that was quite a testimony that you gave. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. And what a joy for the church to be able to share in that confession. What's, What's your, confession? your confession? Jesus, Jesus is Lord, Lord indeed. And here's a special gift. gift for you as well. Alright All right, church and new members, let's look at our covenant. This is one of the first things we go over in our pastor's class. We go over our covenant. It can be difficult to read and I understand. And if you're not a member, we're asking you just to read it. In solidarity with us to understand where we're coming from. And I hope if you become a part of the body of Christ, that this would be a true expression of of who you are and what you're doing within the body of Christ. It summarizes it well. We don't have an interest in putting on a show, a program, a time to entertain you or to make you feel good. The church is a body. It is, a, it is a gathering of, of the redeemed. You to gather, to gather together to worship God, worship God to, to hear, hear His Word, Word, so that they can grow, grow through the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So that they can be equipped for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is carried out beloved, by you and all members of this body. It is isn't me. It it isn't the the elders, elders, or we don't have staff, but if you did, it isn't the staff. (laughs) It's It's the body (laughs) of Christ. And I want to stop stop here and say I want to thank you for fulfilling your part, those that are members of this body. It's very very often I hear about you going to others to meet their needs. Financially, we, we barely ever get a request for any kind of benevolence because it's been taken care of by the body of Christ. Or just some practical need that, that is desired. We, we share within the body those resources that we have. But also encourage and minister to one another in the ways that we have built unique relationships with one another that we would exhort one another even more. As we we see, see, the evil day is approaching, approaching and pray pray (coughs) for (coughs) Christ indeed. So, So, I'll I'll have to stop my sermon at this moment, (laughs) so we can get through this. But let's try to read this together, and I'll try to lead you the best I can, and uh, look at this uh, covenant as we express it together. We'll go ahead and begin. Having Having as we been brought by And, and, and believe in the in Lord Jesus Christ and, and to give up ourselves to Him. Having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and Son and, the Son and Holy, spirit, Holy Spirit, we do we now, relying on His gracious aid, hand, solemnly and joyfully renew, and renew our covenant with each, with each other. We, we will work and pray, and pray for the unity of the and Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together, together in brotherly love <laughs> and become the members of a Christian church, Ex- exercise, exercise in affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, faithfully admonish and treat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor to neglect to pray for ourselves and others, we will, we will endeavor, endeavor to bring up such as, as may at any time be under care earth. in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and
0: by a pure and loving example
1: seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness, and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid. To live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly love, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church. As we sustain his worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the need for the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, if we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church. Where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful that we have been gathered together to praise your holy name, united as a body of Christ here on earth, with Christ indeed being the head. All of us in submission to Jesus Christ and then also in submission to one another as our relationships warrant. I pray and thank you for the unity that we have in this body of Christ. I pray that it will continue. I pray for these new members who have come to be a part to express their gifts that you have granted to them. I pray whether it's in, in time times of Behind, behind the scenes, in, in private, private prayer, prayer. And, and also from time to time in, in encouragement. encouragement, these great gifts that you have given them, I pray that they would indeed be expressed. In the and various ways in which you have called them, I pray, pray that it will be clear. Whether, whether it's, it's a particular, particular circumstance or some regular service, all, of, all this service, of this to exalt your name, to glorify, to glorify you. you. To be fitted together to accomplish what you have called us to do—to make disciples of every nation, every people, every time. I pray, Father, that we would continue to follow Christ and, and be as disciples, indeed, of Jesus Christ. Thankful for the encouragement that I get from being a part of this body of Christ and being called to a life that is separate, distinctive from the world, yet can function in it and tell people about the cross of Jesus Christ, withstand any confusion or criticism. Pray that they will come to that knowledge as well. I pray that as our church grows and little ones come along, that they might see... These members and any and all of our members as exemplary lights of your grace and glory. And I pray to be infectious in their heart, may it root down deep the reality of recognizing that we indeed have a true relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that many, many sons and daughters will come also and continue. I pray pray that light of the glory of your grace here would continue to shine and grow brighter as you bring in more saints who desire for your glory to be on display. I pray that this would continue until the day you come and say, well done, thou faithful servant. We look forward to Jesus Christ returning with with great anticipation. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amazing. Welcome. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, <laughs> together, let's stand.
3: And let's turn to number
2: 389 and it sings, Blessed be the Tide of the Bonds. Blessed bless be the Tide of the Bonds.
4: Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men, and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. praise the Lord It's good, it's good. It's good for the Lord prayer. Father in heaven, we are honored that we have the opportunity to praise you together this morning. To praise you as one congregation, joined in fellowship with one another in a brotherhood beneath your fathership. Praise your majesty, your goodness, your duty, our love, and long suffering towards us. To praise. Your great holiness. It is a blessing to know that we are adding our voice to the host of heaven who are continually singing your praises. Thank you for the gift of this Brothers fellowship here. Brothers and sisters gathered together in joy, blessed with comfort and safety. the promise of eternity when we shall stand in your presence in awe and glorious worship, never ceasing our praise to you. You are worthy. As we continue in worship through the reading of your word, we ask that you would bless Pastor Wayne as he brings your truths to us. Give him the words to illuminate the verses that you have provided for us. Give us the ears to hear what you would have for us
0: today. We also
4: ask that you give those who are sealed in you the confidence of your redemption. And for those who are hearing this message who have not yet placed their hope soul in Christ, we ask ask that you would bless them with the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that they they would, as it says in Isaiah, seek you while you are to be found, to call on you while you are near. Help help us to bear much fruit for you, Father God, to hear your word, to receive it, and to bless one another as we apply it in our lives, in this world, to build, to build one, up one another in encouragement, in and fellowship, and in service, service, passion, and love. And love. Help us Help to be boons to one, one another, lifting, lifting one another, one another, one another, another up, bearing, another up, bearing it, one another's burdens. We also, we also lift up, in particular, the children of this, of this church. This church. That their parents would raise them up in wisdom and patience, reflecting your love and truth each day, so that they might come to adore you as their Savior. <coughs> we thank you for the blessing of having them in our church and the joy that they bring to us. We also entreat you to walk with us during this week, directing our eyes towards you as we set our hands to the tasks that you have laid out for us. And we do everything as an offering of love to you, working diligently and seeking out every opportunity to share the gospel with those that we bring into our lives. Let us not let any of these opportunities pass us by. That we would be diligent in serving one another for in Christ and ministering to those who are not. Father, we likewise lift up those brothers and sisters that you have called to the mission field abroad who we don't have the blessing of the fellowship with every day, but who you have given us the gift of knowing and seeing the fruits of their labors, or and seeing reports of the good works that they are doing, we ask that you would bless them own boldness and encourage them in difficult times, keep them safe and healthy so that they can continue to serve, and provide them with rejuvenating fellowship in the midst of their struggles may ask that preserve your church in those countries for the following you means persecution, or even death. Strengthen the believers there to look beyond their present circumstances to the hope of eternal glory that you have for us all together. Lord, though we do not deserve it, we ask for a delay of judgment here in the U.S., that you would turn the hearts of the lost in this country to you, that you would turn us away from our wickedness and our gravity, that you would give us with wisdom to our leaders, and that they would wisely and justly, turning to you for instruction. Help us be a light shining for you despite the darkness that surrounds us. Thank you again for this time kind of fellowship, the offering, the worship. We ask all of these things. We praise praise the wonderful name of Jesus, the name above all names. All glory be to him who is seated at the right hand of the Father, the perfect name of God. In Christ's name. amen. Amen.
1: is deceptive and deadly. And it needs to be understood in the fact that the warning and the great passion here of this creature that's presenting this book of Hebrews to us is that there may very well be a point of new return, and so hence he gives these various warnings throughout the message. you haven't been with us, the The easiest way to understand the book of Hebrews is, indeed, it is a sermon. It's a sermon presented to the church, primarily Hebrews, and along the way he emphasizes several warnings. This is the third one that we've come up against here. It begins, actually, in verse 11 of chapter 5, and it runs all the way through chapter 6 and verses 12. This morning, morning we're going to focus on, primarily, verses 4-8, and I'll see what I get through. And this and this won't be a regular, regular homily. homily, I, I, had, I had, had trouble creating three, three points in a poem, so Fair bear way. with me. We'll have, we'll have more than three, actually, along the way, we'll see what we can get to on this, but I focus is really to help you get, get a, a single point, and that is that apostasy is very dangerous, and the message here is just not given to people outside the church, this is for someone inside the church, because that's the whole point of the apostasy. And that you hear the goodness of God, you hear the gospel, you're around it, and then you walk away. Danger is you may not be able to come back. That's You'll hear this presentation in the voice of this preacher passionately about it. He brings up this text here in verses four through eight, which happens to be kind of troublesome for some,
0: and there is a lot of disagreement. But I want you to, to look at the text,
1: and we're going to try to explain it. And, and just, just cut, cut to the to chase, to chase if I were to summarize, summarize take out some, some of, the of the middle sections so section that you could see it phrased. And, and you will, will want, want to have your copy of God's Bible Word with you, whether with it's on your phone, phone or, phone or your tablet or the Pew Bible, Bible or whatever. Or whatever. I, want I want you to look, look at the text. Ahead. And, and, and look, look at this, this text here, beginning reading at verse 4. He puts this great word in there that it is impossible. Okay, And then he... Elaborates a little little bit, bit. but it's impossible for what? You'll find that completion of that idea in verse 6. It's impossible, then, read it this way, for those who have fallen away, that is apostatized, to restore them to repentance. That is his argument. That's his point here. It is very weighty, as you might understand. It's impossible for those who have fallen away, to restore them to repentance. This is an ominous warning. We'll need to look at to whom this is addressed, as I mentioned, and, and ask really a question why can't they be restored?
0: An Arminian who
1: would read some of this text here often looks at it this way that you can lose your salvation. Because it seems that's what he's talking about it, and he's talking to the church.
0: But the Arminian
1: doesn't have this idea of not being restored, so it certainly can't be that. The Calvinist actually also has trouble with this passage in some respect. A Calvinist believer would, would be one who recognizes that believers will persevere in the faith because of God's divine Preservation; It is the work of God that they will endure to the end. But they have difficulty in understanding the characteristics that are listed between verse 4 and 6. Because it seems like perhaps that is someone who is genuinely redeemed. At first glance, it looks like that. It looks looks like like these are the things things that that might accompany salvation, so I recognize why many have trouble. And so So to explain explain it, there are a number of ways, depending on your theological theological bias, bias, perhaps. One other way, looking at it, even without that, might be just saying, Well, this, to the Hebrews here, here is a unique unique circumstance circumstance to them, them, a first century Jew, which doesn't apply to us today. I suppose that could be an explanation. However, there's no real indication in the text of that. And what application could we get as the church here, thousands of years later, where this is God's word, which is still relevant? There has to be some application to us. Certainly, yes, we're driving at a single interpretation. That is, what does the author intend to say? Then knowing that, we'll be able to apply that truth to our lives. So what is he trying to say is really another way to try to deal with this from various theological perspectives might be, well, he's just saying hypothetically that this is a possibility, but but not actually. And again, that seems to be a bit of a stretch because there's really nothing in the language of the text that seems to indicate some sort of hypothetical situation. He he's saying quite clearly and quite ominously, that there is a situation that it might be impossible, beloved, to be restored to Christ. So what does he mean? I don't really think this text is all that difficult if we've been walking through it. And oftentimes that is the failure. I mean, we started at the beginning and we're going to go all the way through it. And I know we've done it piecemeal, but we'll go back and reference it from time to time. I hope you are reading along with me, both keeping up with this and looking a little bit ahead, but if you, you look at it in its context and the setting in which it's given, like I said, this is an exemplar of a first century sermon. I do think it was a sermon preached by Paul, recorded by Luke, and put together in a very uh, concise way here in the text for us in the church today. There's a problem that's going on to this particular congregation as we've talked about it before and we'll mention it time and time again. And that is that many of the people to whom this was initially addressed, the Hebrews, they had a great danger. And this is what the preacher stopping to tell them. This is why he constantly stops to give them warnings. They're they're in great peril, great danger of, and them in particular, their situation was to leave Christianity and in their situation to go back to Judaism. They felt pressure on all sides because everybody in their community, in their culture, in their world, as far as they knew it, they, they were all engaging in Judaism. But these to whom he's preaching, have seen Christ. They were being pressured then to conform to the prevailing worldview. By the way, a worldview that had a purpose, and the purpose was, and this is what was good about it, it was to point to Christ. But Christ has come. In fact, he came to his own people and they did not receive him. Some did, and as many as did, he gave unto them eternal life. The Jews had rejected the Messiah, the Christ. They had crucified him. Not just the leaders, but the people. They all cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Do away with him. We have our religious system. We have our cultural thoughts and worldview. But the church had embraced Christ. They were swimming against the proverbial cultural tide. They were rejecting the norms of the society in which they lived, and they were submitting to one whom they confessed as Lord Jesus is Lord, He is sovereign. But they felt this temptation, this tug, if you will. To go back to Jerusalem. By the way, this this is not new. This is something that that occurred then and, and occurs now. Even their predecessors, do you remember? God delivered them through Moses, the deliverer, the type who pointed to Christ. He delivered them from what? The bondage of Egypt. And as they continued on, they constantly longed to go back. And say, "Well, it was really a lot better then because it's really hard now." They forgot from what they from what they were actually delivered. The temptation to go back to Jerusalem, go back from uh, Jerusalem to Egypt, if you will, is something real then and something real now. But if you do so, you're not going to enter into the promised land. See what it points to? There's a danger. There's a danger. This same danger, actually, I mentioned, this is why way of application allow you to do it as we get into this concept of Judaism. It is just about Judaism. That's rooted in help us to understand what's going on and recognize the application here that we might live in a different culture. You may have come from a different religious perspective, maybe none at all, maybe just uh, a, a, an atheistic worldview but there's always going to be this constant pressure and temptation to go back to that which you came and if you do there is no life there there's death and so it's a great warning in fact the warning is you might just leave and never come back that's pretty scary that's his point He's already made this point in his previous warning, and if you have your text of scripture, you can go back and look at chapter 3. This is why I can't get this homily done, as you understand this introduction is too long. But, it, but this is our single point, if we have one, that apostasy is very dangerous. All of us are susceptible to it. He that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And that's why we need to hear it and be reminded of it and recognize the great danger in drifting in that way because it will lead to a point of no return. Ultimately, that's the ultimate end. Hebrews chapter 3 was the previous warning and dropped down to verse 12. And he says, take care brothers. Notice here, he, who, who's he talking about? Those that are in the community, those that are in the church. These are, these are as far as he knows... People who have confessed Christ as Lord, take your word for it, and the majority of them, no doubt, are true believers. But there might be some who are deceived and are not. He said, take care then, brothers, verse 12 of chapter 3, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's apostasy. Because there is only one God. That's what they mean by the living God. And if you fall away from Christ, you're falling away from the living God. That's his point. And that is an exemplary of an evil heart. Instead, what should the congregation do? This is what we're called to do, not come here just to put in some time, but actually engage with one another. Verse 13, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. What's to, what is this day? It's today. Every day that you have a waking breath, that's the call that you should encourage. Exhort one another that, you, that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's something to pray about if you're not sure what to pray about. Pray I wouldn't be dis- hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Pray that your loved ones wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if they are hardened by it, pray that they would be softened by the glory of Christ. No wonder we need to pray always and be in constant prayer. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. And and what's the demonstration of it? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's how you'll fully ultimately know. I mean, there is assurance there for sure. But all of those that are in Christ will endure to the end, not because they're good at enduring, but because God is good at preserving. And so, during this process, you have to make sure that you're not deceived, that you don't have an unbelieving heart, because it's going to lead you to death. That's his point. And in his previous warning, he's saying the same thing now. And he says this, and the urgency of it, as it said, and this is from the Old Testament. He's quoting here, as today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The rebellion of God's people against God's servant. It, it was exemplary of what goes on then in the hearts of men and even now. For those who were for <clears throat> for who were those who heard and rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt? Led by Moses, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? See what it's pointing to? Rebell against God, it results in death. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There's a point of no return. There's a point of death in the wilderness. There's a point in which you will not go to the promised land because of unbelief. So pray that your heart wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily. This warning passage and all of them really fit together he's just saying it in a different way it's the same essential point on one hand throughout this sermon he is extolling the supremacy of Jesus Christ that's what we all need to have in our mind above everything else that is jesus christ that's the positive side the excellency of jesus the way the truth and the life turning away from jesus then and now to anything else is a step in the wrong direction it isn't the way it isn't the truth and it isn't the life It's a step in falsehood and death. And beloved, everyone is doing it, if you will. Not each and every, you get my point. It's, it's the flow of humanity. The culture, this is why the preaching to the cross is foolish to most people. You should expect it. Jesus called people to, in Matthew chapter 7, to enter into the, by the way, of the narrow gate. Wide is the way and and that leads and easy is the way that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. You get the point? That's the flow. Everyone's going that way. Why don't you just come along with us? Abandon all of these principles here because we know better. They didn't know it as well then as we do now. The gate, beloved, is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. If you want to go the easy way, you're not going to enter into the promised land. That's his point. This point that he's making is applicable, as I've mentioned again, in whatever culture or religious system you might find yourself in. Jesus is the treasure we seek. We don't look for a place. It is a person. He is the promised rest. All of those are just pointers to it. And in our mind, for us to think about it, and it's okay to think about a place. And in my father's house, Jesus said, is many rooms. But what's going to make it anything is not any kind of structure, it is a person, it is Jesus Christ. He is the great treasure by which you would sell everything to have if you knew who he was. Immeasurable treasure. Everything else comes up so short, it can't even be compared. So why would you go for that? It is like a, a bowl of beans. And we'll hear that story in just a bit. How would you sell your inheritance for a bowl of beans? Unbelief. So let's look at this text in the immediate context and I'll see what I can get through today. This Warning passage, this third one in chapter 6, is actually introduced in chapter 5, as I mentioned, where he warns them, don't be dull of hearing. It can also be translated, don't be lazy. I'm on a positive call to diligence. It ends with the same remark in 612, bookends, if you will, of what's going on. And I've already preached through chapter. Five section in the first part of six, but just to get a running start, I just want to remind you that the preacher now is, is going along and emphasizing the glorious supremacy of Christ over all things, right? Over the prophets, over the angels, over uh, Moses, over Joshua, over Aaron and the Levitical system, and then he points to another kingly priest. And he is even greater than him, and that would be Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness. He's going to explain more, elaborate in the next few chapters about this and the Levitical system and point to the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, but his whole point is Jesus is supreme. And at this point, he's got to stop and give a warning because some folks aren't Perhaps they're not paying attention, because he has a lot to say about all of this, the supremacy of Christ, and why they shouldn't go back to something lesser, something that pointed to the fulfillment, Jesus Christ. And so look at verse 11 of chapter 5, about this we have much to say, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. But this time you ought to be teachers. See how it's presented to the church? That is our point. We grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord so that we can communicate it to others. All of us are engaged in exhorting and teaching and encouraging. But you need someone else to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. That is the revelation from the beginning. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who loves, lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature who... Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And and beloved, that is a one way to certainly avoid apostasy and avoid evil. Not something that is true and not true, but something that is almost true. You need discernment and wisdom. And this will not come easily. You have to be diligent in the word so that you would not fall away into false doctrine, false ideas, and ideology. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 6, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God and instruction about washing and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. Andy talked about that this morning in training class, didn't you? I'll see? I'll see you smile. So if, you don't, if, you, if you miss that point, he, he can elaborate on that for you. And then here's our key text then. In other words, it's God's sovereign will and the recognition of it. Verse 4, it is impossible... In the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Why? Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain and that often falls on it, It produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated. It receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to be encouraged. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. I pray all of us would indeed hear and heed that warning. May we not be sluggish, instead to be diligent in all we do, and follow those who have walked in faith before us with great courage and great conviction, patient, enduring whatever needs to be endured to inherit the promises that are beyond our imagination, May our faith be in you and you alone. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you feel this sense right now that this warning here is a matter of life and death. As I mentioned, he wants them to pay attention. Verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, don't be dull of hearing. Pay attention to be diligent in growing in your understanding so that you indeed will be able to discern that which is evil because oftentimes it looks like it's good. In chapter 6, he gives instructions to the church at the beginning. This was last week's sermon how to avoid succumbing to this danger. In their specific case, he was calling them to, and I went over this in great detail last week, but to leave the elementary principles, that is, leave the ABCs of Judaism and mature into the perfection or the completion that is in Jesus Christ. Not that Judaism, anything is wrong with it. Everything was right about it. It pointed to Jesus Christ. But now God incarnate has come. He is in the flesh. He has been fully revealed. We understand now through divine revelation that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the symbols, all the types, all the rituals, all the promises. He is indeed said to be the true vine. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. All all of these symbols, all of these rituals, they all pointed to the reality. You understand Jesus Christ has come. And then he's concerned because they want to go back to that. Not that that wasn't of any value. It's of great value because it pointed to Jesus Christ, but he's come. And people came and heard Jesus Christ as he walked on the earth. And he demonstrated who he was. His message was authenticated by divine miracles that could not compare to anything else before or since, by the way. And since not even close, the Apostles did demonstrate some signs of the Apostles, but no one did what Jesus did. Go read the Gospels. Is one of the reasons we're reading through the life of Christ. I encourage you to do so. Your response should be, "Who, who is this that the winds and the waves obey his voice? You know anybody like that? Never met him. Go try it. Stop a hurricane. Instantly. This is God. This is God incarnate in the flesh. Are you going to go to somebody else? People gathered around. It wasn't any difficulty. Remember, He created the world just by speaking it. Let there be light, and there was light. No sun, no moon. There's light. He's not dependent on objects. He is the light. He's God. It's a whole different concept and dimension. The people gathered around him and they get caught up in the physicality and the realities. He had thousands of people gathered in John chapter 6. Jesus has compassion on them, recognizes they just couldn't run down to McDonald's and get something to eat. So he takes virtually nothing and, and transforms it into an abundance of food that was more than enough to feed probably as upward, maybe as many as 20,000 people. Who knows? At least 10. Instantly. Immediately. Boy, they were excited about that. <laughs> Here's a guy that could just produce food out of nothing. And so they followed him until he started giving them sound doctrine. Commitment call to faith and to follow he asked them to come on in by this narrow gate go a different direction than everybody else is going and just about every single one of them turned away the end of John chapter 6 I'll just read it for you all that's left now out of those thousands are just the inner circle just the disciples and Jesus looks them square in the eye and says you want to go too Simon Peter, astonished by that call, and this is the heart of a regenerate soul. He expresses it this way. Lord, where, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that, that you are the Holy One of God. Have you come to believe that? Do do you understand who Jesus Christ is, indeed, the Holy One of God? You may not figure out a lot of other stuff in your life, but this is what you need to know. If you know that Jesus is indeed the Holy One of God, you will not turn away and fall away. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to, to grow in that understanding of the Lord don't turn back. He'll say that in verse 1 and 2. And do so by God's sovereign power. That's verse 3 that we stopped on. If God permits. In other words, not, it's just a recognition. You're not going to accomplish all of that. Even recognizing that Jesus is the Holy One by your own ingenuity, your own intellectual ability... Your, your own might. No, this is a grace. It is a gift of God. You come to him and ask him for it, and he'll, he'll, he'll grant it to you. I remember witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness one time. And rather than talk about all the little nonsense they get into, I just asked a couple pointed questions about who Jesus is. And they couldn't answer it. And then I said, I'll tell you what. And I really meant this in a heartfelt way. I encourage you to consider reading the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was (coughs) with God. And the Word was God. All things were made by him without anything. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light. And the light was the life of men. Pray then that God might reveal his glory to you. And that's ultimately what it is. You need to see the glory of Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Not by your own reading, not by your own thinking, not by your own efforts, but through a dynamic work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But beloved, that faith that you would need, it comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of Christ. So whether you're hearing it here, or whether you're reading it, read the words of Christ. Read from his word. Think on those things. I gave you this background really to help us understand better, to some degree, the meaning of what is going on here in our context In when he then says in verse 4 that it's impossible, and he'll talk about those people that are in that category, to fall away, verse 6, and than to bring them back to repentance. I feel the weight of that phrase, and I hope you do too. This is a a great warning because I know of people who have fallen away. And they fall away to eternal damnation. My heart would be broken If that happened to any of you, your children, and your loved ones. Some of you do have loved ones that have fallen away. It's a very dangerous thing because there may be a point in which they will not return. That is not for us to judicially figure out and decide. It's for them to know that and for us to communicate it. You continue down that road. You know where you're going to go? You're going to go right off the cliff. In eternal damnation, it's all going to be your fault too because you willfully chose to do that. There's grave danger ahead. Rejecting the gospel initially or regressing from what you have embraced, it leads to a hardness of the heart. It it functions in a way that it, it will not return void, it actually functions in a way, God's word, it'll either harden or soften. There's no in-between. It has a real impact. And so then to, to regress from it is going to lead to a hardness of heart that ultimately could very well lead into apostasy, a point of no return. This is the danger of hearing but not responding in faith. Not sure about it, ask God to give you the heart to respond in faith. He will, He won't turn you away. It's always been dangerous to turn away from God's word from the very beginning. Remember Adam? Listen to the voice of Satan. Has God really said, and He includes a little truth with a little lie, which makes it a lie? is either truth or not truth and a little truth with a little lie is still a lie this is a great danger but what's worse right now beloved what's worse right now is that we have the full and final revelation of Jesus Christ and to these Hebrews that The preacher is preaching to, he says, don't you remember, you you have everything. You you had the prophets, you had the angels, you had Moses, you had Joshua, you had Aaron, the whole Levitical priesthood. But now you have Jesus Christ. To turn away from Jesus Christ, how much more severe penalty would that be? Oh, they turned away from Moses and you see what it cost them. From Joshua, you see what it cost." from many of the prophets they wouldn't listen to. And it cost them. Stephen, you can find his sermon in Acts, where he goes on quite detail of what they did. But you know what's worse? Not listen to Jesus Christ. That's his point. Be- because now, I mean, before you may have argued, maybe there's a little excuse, they pointed to him, but we, we don't know, but Jesus Christ has come. Who is Jesus Christ? Remember how he started this sermon? He's the radiance of the glory of God. That's who you're rejecting. The radiance, the, the, the infulgence, the, the reflection, that is, the fullness of God. The exact imprint of his nature. This is God of gods, and we, we know this now through divine revelation. You might have said before they didn't fully know it. Now they do. And that Jesus Christ right now, this one, is upholding all things by the word of his power. The entire universe, the reason it's not falling apart at this very moment is because of Jesus Christ. Where do you want to go? Who do you want to turn to? He's holding everything together. You want to try to hold it together? (coughs) It always amuses me, these people that panic about the world ending. I forgot the guy's name. Sorry, I didn't write it down. I was just thinking on the top of my head. Is it John Ehrlich? Did the population explosion in the 70s? any case, I think it is. I got a yes? Okay. <coughs> so there's my authority. If, if it's wrong, blame Jerry. I remember hearing my dad talking about it because he went to college and that was what be, was being taught at the time. He was getting some remedial courses or whatever. And I said, that sounds nuts. He thought the world was going to fall apart because we had too many people. And the idea was, you know, depopulate the earth. I remember flying in a little plane over D.C. My dad was a pilot. My grandfather was a flight instructor. And, and this is D.C. now. And I know it's grown up a little bit, but not too much. But you know what overwhelmed me in the middle of the nation's capital and the area surrounding it? Trees. Open space. Open space right where I live, just wide open, and say, are you kidding? This is not overpopulation. But they just keep coming up with new ideas all the time, and they're always wrong. They're panicked about it, and, and maybe that's a good thing, that they, they wouldn't find their trust, but they keep thinking, well, if we just fix this, I mean, we're going to fly around in our jets right now and burn up more CO2 emissions of whatever, in in one flight than you would an entire year with your car. But if you get rid of your car, it's going to be better. What nonsense is this? Well, they're panicked. They're panicked because they can't hold it together. Can I tell you simply this? I know somebody who can His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? I mean, I'm not suggesting that we aren't good stewards about what we have. I think they ought to... Have other people fly with them if they're going to go get a private plane. Kind of make some good use out of that. They can go fly it all they want. But Jesus Christ is the one that is holding up all things by the word of his power. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who has finally purified your sin and paid for it. The blood of bulls and goats, they, they couldn't accomplish that. They were only symbols. So, so in their case, they want to go back to that ritual. And by the way, at the time this was preached, that was what was going on. This is prior to seventy eight A.D. The temple is still going on. The sacrifice is still going on. They're, they're just carrying on. But Jesus Christ has already come. He's already lived. He's already died. He's already been buried. He already rose from the dead. He's already ascended on high. In fact, the text says in chapter 1, where I'm quoting from, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is in absolute authority. So where are you going to go? You want to go somewhere else? You're going to go somewhere less if you do. Turn you back on God in the wilderness. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But if you turn your back on God and imagine it better in enslavement to whatever you were enslaved to prior to knowing Jesus Christ, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You're going to die in that wilderness. Because if you go back, you're not going to have any provision. You won't have any protection. You won't have the power of Christ, that's the problem. Who are you going to turn to? He is the holy One of God. And he's a promise an eternal inheritance that is beyond your imagination. And that inheritance has been sealed with a promise that is through the Holy Spirit. It isn't yours to find. It isn't yours to lose. (laughs) It is his gift given to you, and he will keep it till the end because God doesn't lie, and he keeps his promises. The focus, then, should be on Jesus Christ. Well, you're going to have to come back next week for me to go through the rest of this. I figured I might get distracted a little bit because jesus christ is quite distracting and i hope he is for you and my prayer is that he would indeed be your treasure because there's a great danger beloved and that i'll just introduce it today and you'll have to come back next week to finish this up but i'll introduce it to you so at least you get an inkling of the idea you can read through the text and then see how it flows he's emphasized this concept of the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things he's preaching to the congregation for them to hear it too so that they would indeed examine their own heart to make sure that they're in the faith to make sure that they don't miss out on what the blessings that are promised in Christ because here's the problem it, at some point you're it, it rejecting Christ is going to mean death as portrayed in death in the wilderness. And that that parallels with this idea of impossible to restore. It's impossible to bring back. That's the warning. That's the danger. So who's he talking to? In general, he's talking to the church. Because within the church, there is always a mixed congregation of sorts. We try to do our best to sort it out to make sure you truly regenerate that you have indeed confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and truly believe that. But I'm not Jesus Christ and neither are any of the elders. We don't have a way to know all men and to seek your heart, to look into it. We, we, We have to evaluate based on what is responded and presented and see in your life and pray and make a good judgment. So... This message is given to the church at large, but specifically it is for those who are not redeemed yet to come to Christ and be redeemed. It's a gospel message of salvation. I'll show you this and highlight it, and then we'll have to finish. But notice how the pronouns change. So to figure out who is this addressed to in the congregation, but who in the congregation—it's a group of people that are really unknown to the preacher—but he describes them in verse four as those. And then look down to verse six, them. And then in the same, they, and then there. Those, them, they, and there. This message is to the beloved. It is is to the saints in the church. But the warning in specific is to examine your heart to see if you are truly one of the beloved. To, To not to take that for granted. His admonition was for you to what? Go on to maturity. That is to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And, and, and examine yourself. Do you have a, even a desire for that? This is a way that you can examine yourself. But it is a message to, to those who might be in the congregation or may just be uh, Christian-ish, if you will, but appreciate all things about Christ and Christianity but really not, have not seen him as the Holy One of God, as the treasure of their life. And again, this is not for us to sit there and measure people and, figure, and try to figure that out. This is for their own heart, to examine themselves, those, them, they, and their. Contrast that, this is how I get to it, in, that's down in verse 9. Do you see that? though we speak in this way. So, so he's charged these people to, to, to come to repentance and to be careful because you, you may walk away and not come back. And here is this positive message to the saints, the majority of the congregation. Though we speak in this way, verse 9, yet in your case, See how it changes the pronoun? In your case. And then he adds this word, beloved. I hope that resonates with you. If you're in Christ, you are the beloved. And the analogy would be, as it says in scripture, I don't have time to unfold this, but as the father loves the son. Do you think the father loves the son? Holy, perfectly. Beyond our imagination. This is the love of God in Christ Jesus granted to those that have faith in Him. Oh, I love my family, my wife, my children. I even love you. Well, most of you. No, I love all of you. But God loves in a way that is absolutely perfect. Sometimes my love Wax and wanes to some degree. I do things that I don't intend to do, and I don't know why I do, and I have to say I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness. I have to be less selfish or prideful or whatever it might be. But God doesn't do that. His love is absolutely perfect. And when He says this word, beloved, feel the weight of God's love for those that are in Christ. He says, we, notice the text, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So to the beloved, it's a a totally different category. And it's evidence, which I'll demonstrate next time, in, in how that beloved one then would respond. But the warning is there. For us to examine our faith, to hold on, to endure, and to persevere. And you're going to do so not by your might, not by your strength, not by your willpower, but by his amazing grace. Look to Jesus Christ. He is supreme. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for your word which reveals to us the person of Jesus Christ. An unfathomable thought for us to even think on the glory of God manifested to us in the person of Jesus Christ taking on the form of a servant living among us fulfilling all righteousness that is required to stand before you in perfection And then atoning for our sin. Everyone. And granting us. Your mercy. Your grace. And your faithfulness. I pray for your. For myself. And for your people. Uh, I pray that you would indeed. Cause us to. Increase our. Affections for Christ. Not just Today. But every day, may every waking morning, may we open our eyes to the life that you have given and praise your holy name. Glorify you in it and call many sons and daughters to see something more glorious than a beautiful sunset on a winter's eve. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, you can take a moment privately where you're at. I'd like to give you a moment just to think for a few minutes and think on these things. If you haven't confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you can do it now. If you have anything else to confess, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I pray that you would indeed grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Take a moment, privately reflect on these things, respond to him in faith. Thank you. Grant us, by your grace, the ability to treasure Christ every day. I pray in his name. Amen.
0: Let's all stand and turn to 668 in our hymnals. 668, it's the doxology. to depart <clears throat> with what's known as Jacob's blessing let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray may the God for whom Abraham and Isaac walked the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day and who has redeemed me from all evil bless you and let his name live on in you and in your children after you forever amen and amen very dismissed. <laughs>